you have heard God's Word read today, and we will continue our journey through today John's Gospel, the first chapter. If you've been visiting with us recently or attending our services, you'll know that we've been focusing on the Advent season. Today's the fourth Sunday of Advent. We've been looking at the Christmas story in light of each of the four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And over these last several weeks, you'll recall that the framework for our series of sermons was inspired by Dr. Tom Long. He's a well-known preaching professor. He's been a pastor, and he's written lots of good books. I've heard him speak on a number of occasions over the years. He has compared the church's lectionary to homes that the church goes to visit. Matthew's house, Mark's house, Luke's house, and John's house. You know, the lectionary is the three-year cycle of scriptures that follow the church year, and over that course of the three years, we go through the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John is sprinkled through. So over the course of several years, the church would have preached and taught through most of the Bible. At HRBC this Advent season, we put a twist on Dr. Long's concept, and we have called it a Christmas light tour. We're visiting each of these gospel houses to see how they decorate, to see their light, to hope to see how each gospel writer illuminates the birth story of Jesus Christ our Savior and Lord, the light of the world. By way of recap, on week one we visited Mark's house. We went there first because most scholars agree that it was the first gospel put into writing. And we imagine that Mark's house is a simple cottage, not much for decorations. We said that, that Mark's house would be like your minimalist neighbor. Maybe just one light in a window. But in Mark, there's no Christmas story at all. His gospel begins with John the Baptist announcing that Jesus had come, and he moves right to his adult life, to his baptism, to his temptation in the wilderness, to his miracles, his ministry, and ultimately to his death and resurrection. And we said that Mark's gospel reminds us that hope is to be found in the manger only because it is first found on the cross. We said that Easter gives Christmas its meaning. And in week two, we visited Matthew's house, and we can imagine going there to maybe an old Victorian with wraparound porch, a big family reunion, lots of photographs that tell the story of the past, the entire clan, grandparents and aunts and uncles we've never met, Waiting travelers from afar. We would barely fit in Matthew's house because of all of the crowd. Matthew's gospel anchors the birth of Jesus in God's promise to Abraham. Anchors it in Jesus being a son of David. Anchors it in Jesus being Emmanuel, as the prophets foretold, God with us. Tells us that it's a redemption story for all people. Matthew's gospel anchors the birth of Jesus in God's promises to Abraham, and we understand it to be a redemption story for all people. And then last Sunday, if you were with us, 
we went to Luke's house. And we envisioned Luke's house being the neighborhood house where everybody would hang out. Perhaps a low country cottage with a porch all the way across the front. A nativity scene we would pass as we went up the stairs. Garland draped across the front porch railings. Lights everywhere. And perhaps like some of you, Christmas trees uniquely decorated in each room of the house. Christmas carols would be playing. And I can envision, you know that show uh, from the people in, in Waco, Texas, Fixer Upper? I can envision one of those long farm style plank tables with all of the food displayed and everybody gathering around from all kinds of walks of lives, enjoying the delicious food on the table. Everyone welcome there. Luke's gospel reminds us that Jesus' story has a backstory, the gospel before the gospel. And there is good news told to an aged couple never thought they could have children named Zechariah and Elizabeth. They would be the parents of John the Baptist, the one who would come to tell about Jesus. This birth story of Jesus is wrapped in this story of John the prophet who would come to tell about him. Today we visit the house of John. And we will travel through the dark to see the lights at John's house. We've said in the past few weeks that we think John would be like a theology professor discussing with us the multitude of meaning of things in the gospel. Sort of like a layer cake. Helping us to understand the symbolic meaning of things that Jesus said, for example, when he said, I am the light of the world. One writer says that John stands in stark contrast to the traditional narratives in the synoptic Gospels. Packed with theological constructs and blatant symbolic gestures, John endeavors to shine a great light into the darkness around it, and the darkness cannot overcome it. I imagine the journey to John's house would be much like driving down a windy, narrow farm-to-market road, many of which are in Chesterfield County in the Richmond area. Sort of like when you go down Huguenot Trail and cross, uh, you know, into over 288 into Powhatan, and that road winds good. Or if you're going down Beach Road from Route 10 and uh, are heading toward Winter Park, and it's just really windy. I see that as how it might be. Finally, as you're uh, going through the trees that canopy the road, you'll see some luminaries that point you to turn off the paved road onto a gravel, a gravel road. And we wind up, and then after we pass through some hills and trees, we see a clearing in the land, and a beautiful home that is lighted that we are longing to experience. Light in the midst of darkness. I imagine John's house as a modern contemporary style of architecture. If you've ever seen some of the homes that Frank Lloyd Wright designed, he's the well-known 20th century architect. Uh, that's how I see John's house. Lots of glass geometric angles, waterfalls, illuminated landscape and trees. I envisioned that the house would have large plate glass windows so that the creation or the outside 
and the inside are almost one. The furniture would be contemporary. It would be well-appointed. Sort of like a showroom if you walked into Ladiff down in Chaco Bottom. The house draws you in and is full of color. Envision ornaments designed by Frank Lloyd Wright that are of stained glass uh, that have uh, sharp geometric angles. Everywhere you turn, there is light. There's something new uh, to explore. This gospel house seems to be made of light. Light that shines in the deep darkness. And the darkness overcometh it not. Some key thoughts as we visit this gospel house. Nowhere in John's uniqueness is it more obvious than at the beginning. John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The first words there in the Greek New Testament are, Ain arche, in beginning. The first three words of John are the same as the opening words of Genesis, the creation story, translated into Greek, which is the way that the first century Jews would have known the Hebrew Bible. In the beginning is a repetition. It's not an accident. This, John says, is where the good news of Jesus Christ really starts. At the beginning of everything. Just like Genesis, John transports us back through time and space to the moment when time and space began. To the instant just before the universe came to be. When all there was, was God. God spoke, and there was light. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Later, God spoke, and there was law, Torah, to Moses, to the people, to give them direction, to help them to understand the concept of what was sin and what was good. And then God would speak through the prophets. For example, through Isaiah, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call Him Emmanuel, which we know means God with us. And in the Proverbs, God spoke through the one who is wisdom, giving words for instruction, direction, and guidance. And now God has lived among us. Word became flesh. This lightness, the darkness would not overcome. Through John's Gospel, we know that God is not some far-off deity in a distant heaven somewhere or back in the far dim reaches where it doesn't matter. Rather, John helps us to know that God is with us. Not far off and distant, but rather up close and personal. Some key thoughts from John. I have three for you. You know, sometimes preachers want to, sometimes like I do, give you ten of them. That's too many. But today I just have three for you. So rest easy. Prop your feet up like Miss Amanda said if you want to. The first thought is that God has come among us to know us from the inside out. 
The word dwelt among us literally means to pitch a tent or to tabernacle. In the Old Testament, the Hebrews went through the desert and the Levites would carry the equipment of the tabernacle, which was the big old tent that they set up to worship in until the Lord led them to another place. And they would pack the tent up and move it and then set it back up again. They would, and God tabernacled there. God dwelt with the people there. In the message version of the Bible, which is a paraphrase, Eugene Peterson says it like this in verse 14, God moved into the neighborhood. When God moves into our neighborhood, what do we need to do? We need to welcome God. That we would welcome God into the neighborhood of our hearts. And nothing about us, joy or sorrow, good or evil, brokenness or triumph, none of that is alien to God. God knows the desires of our hearts. And when words come up short, God's Spirit intercedes for us on our behalf with groanings that we cannot express. God wove us together, knew our name before we were even born. God desires to know us from the inside out. It really does, but he wants us to understand that more fully. Another key thought is that the Word became flesh <clears throat> that we might be restored as the people we were meant to be. We are created in the image of a loving God, a good God, even though we experience difficulty and struggle and loss and hurt brokenness even though we fall short of God's intentions for us God's desire is to restore us as we were meant to be to redeem us to bring something good out of our 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 bad God is the source of all that is beautiful all that is good all that is true and as we carry the scars of this brokenness in our creation um, we we come to God and say things are not as they should be. And we hear these words that the Word was made flesh. And through His sacrificial and redeeming love, we can be restored as the beautiful and loving people we are meant to be. When Jesus comes again in His glory, God will redeem this creation to its original Eden-like state. But until then, we live in the in-between time and we trust as the Logos dwells in and among us that we might be restored and help bring that restorative peace to those who are around us <clears throat> who are so desperately looking for some hope to hold on to. Even when we differ from people with other uh, viewpoints, especially in today's a very challenging political climate. We as Christians step above that. We rise above that as citizens of heaven, reach across the aisle in the name of Jesus, and seek to dwell together in unity, which pleases God. And the last thing I believe that God uh, teaches us in John, not the last thing, but the last of the three for you, is that as in our struggles, we are not alone. The Word that was with God at creation is among us now. Though there is much symbolism and mystery in the Gospel of John, 
there we find a treasury of scriptures that provide us help and hope in some of the most difficult of times. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not come into the world, send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus said to Mary, Martha, Mary, Lazarus, Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in in me, though he may die, shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Also in John's gospel, we hear these words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back, and I will take you to be where I am. And one of his disciples, Thomas, said, Lord, uh, we don't know the way that you are, where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And later in that chapter 14 in John's Gospel, the words of Jesus, where he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. And even with all of these words that we find in John's Gospel, some of us have, still have a, a difficult time understanding this whole incarnation thing. God with us, Emmanuel, I I just can't grasp that concept, Pastor Bob. And that's okay. You're not alone. One of the most understandable ways that I've heard the incarnation shared was many years ago. And if you remember the name Paul Harvey it might ring a bell to you. Now, if you're below 40, you may need to Google Paul Paul Harvey, okay? Um, He had a wonderful storytelling voice over the radio waves, and you can listen to him online today. But he tells a story called The Man and the Birds, and he told it every Christmas Eve. And I've shared this story over the years with people who are struggling to understand the gospel. God with us. Jesus. And the story goes like this. Paul Harvey says, The man that I introduced to you is not a Scrooge. He was a kind, decent, good man, generous to his family, upright in his dealings with others. But he didn't believe all that incarnation stuff that churches talk about at Christmas. It just didn't make sense to him. And he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He just couldn't swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth and all that. And that evening on Christmas Eve when his wife and family were getting ready to go to the midnight service, he said, I'm sorry to distress you, but I just can't go. I'll be here waiting for you all when you get home. I just can't go. I will feel like such a hypocrite. And so his family went on their way. It was snowing. They lived in the country. 
And uh, not long after his family pulled away from the house, as he sat there in his comfortable room with the glow from the fire, he started to hear thud, thud. And he turned and saw birds flying into his plate glass window. They were trying to get into the light where it was warm. That's their nature. He was concerned about the birds, so he put on his coat and his galoshes and went outside in the snow to try to help them. And he, the first thought that he had was his barn. I'll open the doors to the barn, turn on the lights, and certainly the birds will fly in the barn. And they did not. Perplexed. He said, well, maybe if I get some cornmeal. So he got some breadcrumbs and went and scattered the breadcrumbs from where the, the birds were scattered, still flying into the windows, all the way to the barn. And they would not follow the food. They were still injuring themselves flying into the window. Maybe if I try to scare him into the barn. So he jumped up and down, flailing his arms, hollering and hooting, shooing them, and still they would not go into the barn. He just didn't know, you know what to do. And then this thought came over him. If I could only become a bird, then I could speak to them and tell them where they could find lodging, where they would be safe. At that moment, as the church bells played, Oh, come all ye faithful, from the service where his family attended, he realized the meaning of all that incarnation stuff. God come to earth and he sank to his knees in prayer. God has come in Christ in the form of a baby to experience humanity in its fullness and to help us to understand that God identifies with the entirety of the human condition and willingly suffered and died on a cruel Roman cross to take upon the sins of humanity to God's self and to purchase our forgiveness, our redemption, our freedom, our eternity. That's the good news this Advent and Christmas season. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory the glory of the one and only, his one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. Please bow with me.
Father in heaven, we thank you for your willingness to take the risk, to risk it all, to come to earth to meet us in our humanity, that you would become a human being, fully divine yet fully human, which is mysterious to us, and willingly take on the suffering of this world, die on the cross, and that you would live and show to us through the resurrection that there is hope. Not on this fourth Sunday of Advent as we journey toward the celebration of the birth of your Son, may we be assured that you are with us, that you love us no matter what, and that by your wounds we are healed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.